That's how we believe in the good news. We don't just believe it, we believe in it. We base our lives on the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life for me, for you, for all of us. And so we have to believe in the good news. To believe in the good news is to make it every part of our lives. This is season eight of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. God's holy word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's word right now. And let us hear the word of the Lord for us this day uh, from the gospel according to St. Mark. This is Mark chapter 1 and beginning of verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're beginning a series this week, um, the first Sunday in Lent. We're calling it The Journey to the Cross. The journey to the cross. We in uh, the church, we want to get to Easter. We want to get to the resurrection. We want to get to the empty tomb. We don't want to face the harsh reality of the cross. The cross is ugly. The cross is, is, is hard to look at, especially those who are convicted by sin. And so... We want to focus on the cross. We want to focus on the cross throughout this Lenten season and know that our journey is taking us ever closer to the cross day by day. Throughout these 40, these 40 days of Lent, we're going to be focused on the cross and we're going to be taking our journey beginning today. Uh, the title of the message today is Starting the Journey. Uh, let us pray. Father God, we pray you would bring this text alive for us today. By your Spirit, guide us in the teaching. Help us to see that these are not mere stories about people who lived 2,000 years ago, but that they involve us as well today. Fill us with your Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us have taken a very long journey? could be a vacation. Um, perhaps it is a, an endurance run. I've run a few races that have been uh, quite uh, far. Uh, the farthest I've ever run in a race is uh, 13.1 miles. That's a half a marathon. Haven't done a full marathon yet, but 13.1 uh, miles, it's quite a distance. 
at uh, roughly 2,000 steps per mile. That's uh, 26,000 steps that I will take in a 13-mile race. But it begins at the starting line, and it begins by taking that first step. Um, I believe it was Confucius who said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, and it's true. The journey itself might look daunting. The journey itself might look difficult. We might not even want to start, and if we never start, we'll never get to our destination. So we want to start. We want to begin the journey, and that's what this is all about, beginning the journey. The text that we read today is the beginning of Jesus's journey. It's the beginning of Mark's gospel. It comes in the very uh, beginning part of the first chapter of Mark. You haven't barely uh, unrolled the scroll of Mark before you come to this, uh, this account today. And there's three things that happen in this particular account. And I want to talk about all three of those things um, because these things that happen to Jesus also apply to us in our Christian life. And so let's live by the example of Christ this day. Let's take what he has done for us and apply it in our own lives. So we're at the start of Mark's gospel, and in the very beginning, the first eight uh, verses, he begins in the first three verses to talk about the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he starts right out of the gate. This is not an ordinary story. This is a story about God who walked on the earth in the form of of Jesus Christ, a man from Galilee, a man from Nazareth, a man who walked among us and taught with us and ate with us and lived with us, you know? So here is Mark saying, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God, and that's what this is all about. Then he goes on to talk about John the Baptizer, okay, John the Baptist. Um, As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this is the messenger who's going on before the coming Messiah. And immediately after he brings this uh, prophecy to mind, he says... John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, a little bit about John. Uh, He was clothed with camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. All of this imagery it brings to mind to the Jewish reader the image of Elijah, because this is how Elijah was described. He had long hair. He, he wore uh, uh, 
camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. It was very similar imagery to Elijah. And Elijah was the spirit with which this messenger would come, according to Malachi. And so he proclaimed, this is John speaking, the one who is more powerful than I, he's saying, don't, don't, don't focus on me. Don't focus on me. Focus on the one to come. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's a nice little introduction to the gospel of Mark. Now notice that, that John is preaching a baptism of repentance. So what is repentance? Uh, repentance is, we're going to come back to repentance in a little bit, but repentance is turning away from our sin and turning toward God, changing our direction. Okay? Now, let's say that you and I are in a car and we're taking a journey and we're going to Florida. Okay? Nice time of year to be going to Florida, don't you think? I'm sure it's beautiful, sunny down there. Um, so we're in the car, we're driving, and you fall asleep in the passenger seat. Now, you wake up and you notice, you look outside, and you see on both sides of the car, like three feet of snow, and it's cold. And um, you're starting to think to yourself, uh, I don't think we're going in the right direction. So you say to me, uh, hey, Pastor Brett, I think we're going in the wrong direction because I think we're headed north and Florida is south. So what do I have to do? I, I recognize that I'm going in the wrong direction. I admit to you that I'm going in the wrong direction, but I also have to turn the car around, don't I? And get headed in the right direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is admitting that I'm going in the wrong direction. Admitting to God, confessing my sins to God, and turning around and going in the right direction. See, God is that voice telling me, you're headed in the wrong direction. Isaiah says, you will hear that voice behind you when, whether you turn to the right or to the left, saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what we need to do. We need to hear that voice of God. And we, when we start to stray from the path, we focus back on the path that God has laid out for us, a path of righteousness for his name's sake. All right, so that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning around, agreeing with God that we're going in the wrong direction and turning around. It's not just, it's not just confessing my sin, but it's changing and desiring new things, okay? All right, so that's the baptism that John is preaching, a baptism of repentance. Now, all that's the little back, the background to what we're talking about here today. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came up from, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, wait a minute. If, if, if John is preaching a baptism of repentance, then why did Jesus need to be baptized? He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. What sin did he have to repent of? How, why would he have to repent? Well, the answer to that question is he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't need to repent. 
then why was he baptized? Because in baptism, Jesus identifies with us. In baptism, Jesus identifies with us. Notice what it says here, verse 5. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to John the Baptist, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. All the people were going out to John. Jesus, as he walked among us, he lived the life that we live. He knows temptation. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He wept at the, at the death of Lazarus. You know, he, he got down on our level. He touched lepers to heal them, to make them clean. You know, this is what Jesus does. He identifies with us. We don't serve a God who is distant. We serve a God who is with us. We just spent how many weeks? Uh, five weeks in a series called God With Us. How God ministers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the personification, the, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And so as such, Jesus identifies with us by walking where we walk, by living where we live, by eating with us. We're told that he, he ate with sinners. He healed the sick. And he came to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has drawn near. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. But in baptism, Jesus identifies with us. Jesus is baptized so that he can do the things that we are doing. All the Judean countryside are going out to John, being baptized by him in a Jordan. And so Jesus goes and is baptized as well. Now it says, And just as he was coming out, up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Here we see all three persons of the Trinity in one place, acting together in, in full communion with each other. You know, the Spirit descending upon the Son, the, the Father saying, you are my beloved Son, and with whom I am well pleased. Uh, what an incredible sight that must have been to behold. And so, here's the thing, because in baptism, Jesus identifies with us, but in the same way, we identify with Jesus in our baptism. In our baptism, we identify with Jesus. Because now we are doing what he did. Because now we are, are living the life that he lived. And that's what it means to be a Christian. So in baptism, Jesus identifies with us. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, uh, Paul writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I've talked about the illustration before where um, full immersion 
baptism is where we go into the water. It is a symbolic, it's not only just a symbolic washing of our sins, but it is also a symbolic dying to self, being laid in the grave, going under the water. Okay? We're dying the death that Jesus died for us. And then when we come up out of the water, we are raised in the resurrection of Christ at the empty tomb. You see? That's what baptism symbolizes for us. And so when we do that, we identify with Jesus. In baptism, Jesus identifies with us, and we identify with Jesus in our baptism. Okay, moving on. Now, verse uh, 12. And this, this is right after the baptism. Uh, remember, again, Mark loves the word immediately. Okay, he really drives this story along with this word immediately. And so verse 12 says, And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, he doesn't go into great detail about the temptation of Jesus, as Matthew and Luke do. Uh, but again, Mark wasn't there. You know, Matthew was there. Mark is getting this account secondhand from Peter, uh, who is his uh, companion. Matthew was one of the 12, and, and he heard from Jesus himself all these things that happened to him. Uh, so he's driven out into the wilderness. He's in the wilderness 40 days. People often ask, why is Lent 40 days? It symbolizes the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness preparing for his ministry. Now, notice this, um, that Jesus' ministry didn't begin until after two things. Number one, his baptism. And number two, his fasting, his trial, his, his temptation in the wilderness. So now what I want us to get from this is this. When we are identified as children of God, okay, God said to Jesus in his baptism, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Paul tells us that we have the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we may cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, so we are heirs of salvation, heirs and joint heirs with Christ, who is our brother, the firstborn among the living. Okay, so all that to say, that in our baptism, we are also identified as children of God. And when we are identified as children of God, we face temptation. Jesus' uh, parable of the sower illustrates this in the seed that falls on a rocky soil. Now, he, he talked about four different soils that the, the seed fell on. The path, okay, which is where the birds came and snatched the seed away. That's the devil taking... You know, and these are people who are very resistant to the word, very resistant to, to the gospel. And you might be preaching to this person over and over and over, and they'll just be like, mm, nah, mm, not, not, nope, not getting it, nope, not getting it. Why? Because Satan is snatching the word right out of their hearts before they can even receive it, before it can take root. And he talked about the, 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 the seed that took root in the thorns, okay, but the, the worries of life choked that seed out. 
Remember, the seed signifies the word of God. Okay? And so, um, when we are too concerned with the things of the world, and we can be, we face the danger of falling into the snare of having that word of God choked out of us. Okay? We need to be focused on God. We need to be focused on God. We need to have the good soil. The good soil is where it takes root and it, it yields an abundance. A hundred times more than what was planted. So the person who has the good soil is a person who goes out and proclaims the word and grows more disciples. The person who has the good soil in their heart is the one who receives the word and goes out and makes more disciples. They become a disciple and they make more disciples. And they disciple people into discipleship with Jesus Christ. And that's how you know if you have the good soil. But we're talking about the rocky soil. The rocky soil is the fourth part. Jesus said, Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Now he said, he explained this to his disciples. He said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. When we identify as children of God, we face temptation. We face persecution. Okay. How many times have you seen a brand new Christian become discouraged because the people around them go, oh, you don't fall for that Jesus nonsense, do you? Oh my goodness, are you, are you joining a cult? You know, oh, here comes the Bible thumper. Oh, everybody watch what you say. You know, put your drinks down. Here comes the, you know, and it's in a mocking way. Why? Because Satan doesn't want us to believe. Satan doesn't want us to follow Jesus Christ because he knows that there is joy. He knows that there is eternal life and Satan only wants for us death, eternal death, right? But what we have in Jesus is eternal life. And if we could focus on that, then when those temptations come, then nothing that the devil can say to us will, will draw us away from God. This is what happens to Jesus. He's tempted in, this, in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, Satan comes and tempts, tempts him. He's fasting. He's going through a trial. Okay? But he comes out on the other side. Of course he does, because he's the son of God. But again, we identify with Jesus in our baptism. We also identify with Jesus in our temptation. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin, in every way that we are. And so um, we can be assured that we serve a God who knows who we are and, and what we're going through. So, so we, are, we identify with Jesus in our baptism. We are tempted when we become children of God. And now this, once we've once we've proven ourselves, once we've come out the other side of the temptation and the persecution, okay, we can begin by proclaiming the good news at home. We don't have to go to a far country. 
We don't have to go way out of state. We don't have to drive across the country. We start right at home with our family. We reach out to our neighbors. We reach out to our coworkers, all the people around us, our friends. Um, we, we want to reach people for Christ and we preach the good news at home. So Jesus is from Galilee. So he returns home after John is arrested by Herod. This is what it says in verse uh, uh, 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, there's four things that Jesus talks about. Uh, he has four points and they're really brief and they're really quick, but they're powerful. Okay, so first he says, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jews waiting for their Messiah. In Luke, it's recorded that he goes back to his, the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads the part that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to, re to proclaim release to the captives, to, you know, all of that. And so he rolls up the scroll and he says to them, This prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, what he's saying is, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay, so Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jews waiting for their Messiah. He says, the time is fulfilled. Okay, you've been waiting for hundreds of years. Um, and now the time is fulfilled. There is this great silence that happens after Malachi uh, writes his prophecy. Uh, God stopped speaking through the prophets to the people for about 400 years. And then all of a sudden, everything happens at once. You have John the Baptist, you have uh, Jesus, and, and then the explosion of the Christian church, all in a matter of about 30 years. So, the time is fulfilled. The next thing he says, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. See, Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. God's kingdom does not have political or geographic boundaries, but it encompasses all people who believe in Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. It's here on earth right now. Okay? Anywhere that you find the Christian church. Okay? We talk about the church invisible. The church invisible. This is the visible church. This is Ebenezer United Methodist Church. Uh, it's the visible church building. The people who are here when we are gathered together, we are visible as a congregation of God. But we belong to the invisible church, which is all Christians everywhere. All who have faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God has come near. The third thing he says is this, repent, repent. Jesus, we're coming back to that, that, that repentance, okay? Jesus says to repent. Now, John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance, and here Jesus is also saying to his followers, repent, to you and to me. 
Repentance, again, is agreeing with God that we are sinners and turning away from our sin and turning toward God. Remember, I gave that illustration of the journey. I agree I'm going in the wrong direction, so what do I do? I turn around. That's repentance. I turn around and I go in the right direction. It's a change of heart that's brought about by the indwelling of the God's Spirit. So, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom has come near. Repent and, point four, believe in the good news. See, the bad news is that we're sinners and we deserve God's wrath. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus bore our wrath on our behalf. And by trusting in him alone for our salvation, we are saved and offered new life in his name, eternal life. That's the good news. And we have to believe in it. We can't just hear it. We can't just make a note of it. We have to bring it into our lives, make it every part of who we are. That's how we believe in the good news. We don't just believe it, we believe in it. We base our lives on the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life for me, for you, for all of us. And so we have to believe in the good news. To believe in the good news is to make it every part of our lives. At the end of my uh, podcast, I always say the same thing. Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ. Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ. And that is what we are called to do as Christians. We believe in the good news. We live differently because we believe in the good news. So here we are. Every journey has a beginning and an end. For Jesus, the journey began with his baptism identifying with us in our sin, even though he was sinless. Like us, the beginning of the journey is fraught with temptation and adversity. The devil doesn't want us taking this journey. He wants us to take the broad road that leads to destruction. That way is easy. Following Christ is hard. But we can take comfort in knowing that we are not blindly following a God who does not know us intimately. He has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. So Jesus' earthly ministry begins in baptism and temptation and ends in death and resurrection. That is what, this is what the season of Lent is all about. It's a journey to the cross on Good Friday where our sins are paid for by the precious blood of the Lamb. Beyond the cross, we receive eternal life in the resurrection of Jesus. And so our journey begins, and these 40 days will not be easy. But what we see in today's reading is that Jesus walks this journey with us in each and every step. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Son, O Lord, who lived our life, who walked among us, lived among us, ate with us, suffered with us, died for us. What an amazing thing it is, Lord, that you have done this for us. For us who are sinners, 
who have been in rebellion to you our entire lives. Jesus didn't die for people who love him. He died for people who hate him. To bring them to reconciliation with you. And so we thank you, Lord, for this account, to know that we are baptized with Jesus, that we are tempted like Jesus was tempted. Now help us, Lord, give us the strength to go out and proclaim the good news, to say to the world that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, to repent and believe in the good news and help us to believe in it too. Lord, help us to make the good news every part of our lives so that every moment that we are living, we are living for Christ who died for us. Lord, we're not perfect. We haven't lived this life perfectly and we probably never will. But by your spirit, we can, be, we can grow in your love and your grace day by day. Lord, help us to become the men and women that you call us to be. All this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My hope and prayer is that this time of listening to and learning from God's Word has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. And God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you don't have a church family to call your own and you live in the area, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. We are a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring faith community in the heart of New Jersey's farmland. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. And right now during the COVID-19 crisis, we are meeting exclusively online through Facebook Live and we'd be happy for you to join us wherever you are. Of course, if you don't live nearby, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers wherever you are. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family. Hit like, leave a comment, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing. And I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.